2: Alabama time once again for Southern Fried Sports on your home. For University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM, Travis Reyer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard north in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. If ever in our lives... We have needed the pick-me-up uh, that uh, that outstanding chocolate, those outstanding treats at Peterbrook Chocolatier can provide to us. It's now, right? 2020 should be the year of chocolate, if nothing else. And you got graduation coming up this weekend, I believe, uh, for some uh, some some uh, young folks that are moving on to the next stages of their lives, and you can treat them at Peterbrook Chocolatier. As well. Joined on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the sixty minute band Woo of Sports Talk Radio. Joe Gaither, how you doing on this Friday Eve?
1: I'm enjoying the fact that it is Friday Eve and kinda of daydreaming about lunch.
2: <laughs> and we like to talk about lunch and food. You know, you'd probably like the setting right now at Casa de Ryer because First thing this morning, before any of the other occupancy occupants of the, uh, of the abode arose, I had a Boston butt going on that smoker at about six forty-five this morning. She that, went on. There's nothing like huh?
1: that smell. Uh, gosh, there's nothing like that smell. After it gets going.
2: Yes. Your big boss. I mean, who isn't a, I mean, who isn't a fan of Boston, butt pulled pork, right? So uh, it obviously won't be ready for lunch, but uh, later this evening, you know, we'll look to get into that, make some sandwiches, just some simple sandwiches, you know. All you need is a couple of dill pickle chips and uh, the, the pork and your favorite sauce. And I like just the regular store brand white buns. You know, I don't need the sesame seeds all on them. I don't need the seven grain bun you know, enriched with almond flour. I don't need any of that. Just the store brand bun, just plain. Put that pulled pork on there. Get a couple of those burnt ends, you know, a little crunch, little texture in there. Your favorite sauce, maybe a couple of ice cold. Those dill pickle chips on any sandwich, it's a requisite. They have to be ice cold. You put those on there and away you go. You don't even need anything else. I mean, if you like chips or stuff like that, slaw, that's fine. That's all you really need. That's what we're going to do. Had some sushi last night, Joe, so I saw our friends, our sushi friends. Everybody doing well. Everybody seemed to be doing okay. You know, they've come up with that new roll up there. It's called the Krabby Travy, they call it, and it's a uh, <laughs> custom roll. It's, uh, it's the soft shell crab with some cream cheese, bacon, because you always think about bacon when you think sushi, right? And um, then some of that, uh, some of that, a little cucumber, and then some of that crab salad on top, Joe. You know, the crabby travy with the soft-shell crab. Sounds like you they like got that? you hooked up right there. Yeah, well, you know Brandon, man. He can make anything happen. You know, he could put a steel-belt radial into sushi form, and you'd go, man, this is just the best steel-belt radial I've ever tasted in my life. That's Brandon, our good friend. We got a lot of college football talk, as you might imagine. On today's program, we'll talk some Major League Baseball as well. Um, where are we at with the phone lines? We still on the alternate phone line, Joe Gaither? Are we we still are still on the alternate
1: phone line. Uh, probably the last day of that.
2: 205-409-7877, I believe, are those digits, if you'd like to check in with us. Here on a Thursday edition of Peter Brook you know, uh <laughs> Southern Fried Sports, excuse me. You know what else we've got this weekend, too? You know, they're progressing, man. They're moving right along with this fall semester over at UA. You've got drop-off day for the youngest, Saturday, Aug 1. You're going to be able to go by Tutwiler and the dorms, I guess, over there on campus. And by the way, coming back from uh, dinner last night, was able to pass right through campus, Joe Gaither, on Bryant Drive. Seemed like the first time since I was in school at UA back in 92 93 ish that was a blur hard to remember but you can actually take Bryant Drive almost all the way from downtown still got a portion of it there I think near Alabama power and some of that at the corner there uh, still in a a, a mess but uh, you can you can access Bryant Drive getting ready getting ready for moving day it's happening man they're moving along at UA they're they're going for it 13 floors of uh, young ladies. Set to move into Tutwiler next week. Tutwiler on its last legs. You got that new Tutwiler Hall going in. So uh, the relic at this point, the old lady Tutwiler. I think maybe one more year. Is this it for Tutwiler? I think it might be. But they're uh, they're 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 planning to move on, move on with this fall semester and a lot of college football news and sort of connection with that. You heard from the ACC yesterday. A little bit of a surprise there, right? Because. The temperature going into yesterday seemed to be that while well, the ACC may take a more cautious approach and wait on the Board of Governors with the NCAA to perhaps make a statement about fall championships that are sponsored by the NC2A. The ACC jumped into the deep end of the pool yesterday. The ACC going with a 10 game conference schedule plus one that sees Notre Dame, Notre Dame has agreed to move up from one-night stand for the ACC. Notre Dame said, look, you've been good to us. You know, We've had some fun. I'm going to take you to the Wisconsin Dells for the long weekend. That's what we essentially saw with Notre Dame and the ACC yesterday. And look, I get it. It's smart by the ACC, right? I mean, you've got the Notre Dame Fighting Irish brand now for 10 regular season games, hoping that we get them all in. Notre Dame, and one of the biggest surprises in all this, has agreed to share that NBC loot. I don't know if many people expected that, or at least certainly not as quickly as it seemed in understanding a lot of these discussions, I'm sure, were taking place for a couple of weeks now. But NBC uh, Notre Dame coming off some of that NBC money you know, and, and willing to share in that with the ACC. So I think it's a great move for the ACC. Absolutely. You know, that's the bird in the hand deal. Yes, if you're the ACC, you have to consider in doing this, going 10 regular season conference games with a plus one. If the SEC goes 10 conference games with no plus one, well, then you're looking at, obviously, a number of games, specifically rivalry matchups between ACC and SEC programs, going by the boards. But, man, how about that narrative yesterday after all this that, wow, the ACC really pulled one on the SEC, really got over on the mighty SEC with this 10 conference games plus one, forcing the hand, we were told, in some corners, of the SEC to potentially follow suit and keep a plus one in addition to an all-conference 10-game schedule. And, look, the SEC may still keep a plus one. You know, apparently there are multiple options still on the table. Maybe we're going to hear something about that as early as today from the SEC. Could be an uh, eight eight conference games and a plus one. Could be a nine conference games and a plus one. Could just be ten conference games. So we're still waiting for some some clarity, some certainty on that front. But if it is that the SEC goes to ten conference games and no plus one, spare me the talk. Spare me the talk of the ACC getting over on the SEC. Let me ask you this question. If you want to talk about ACC non-conference opponents for the 2020 season that aren't named Notre Dame, which is kind of a, again, you know, a sidecar, the the ACC is Indy's sidecar, other than Notre Dame, In a matchup that the ACC has scheduled with an SEC opponent, who else can you name in terms of ACC non-conference opponents for the upcoming season? Can you name one? Can you name the Citadel for Clemson? And who else? If it's not an SEC team and it's not Notre Dame, who is the ACC playing in the non-conference? I can tell you a bunch for the SEC. The SEC was scheduled to have Alabama, Southern California. Will Pitt and the West SC-
1: Virginia play again? But that that rivalry is done for them.
2: I mean, the backyard brawl. But I guess I don't know. You just told me one. If if, if they are playing, you pretty just sure that like rivalry's it. been suspended. Yeah, I mean, they haven't played in forever. I, I don't know if they're they're getting that going again now or or not. But um, and then the ACC put stipulations on it. Well. And the plus one has to be played in the home state of the member school. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to play 10 conference games and our non-con will be against anybody, anywhere. No stipulations. There were still some stipulations put on that. So, yeah, I mean, the SEC isn't, its relevance isn't dependent upon matchups with the ACC because you did have Alabama, Southern California. You did have Texas LSU. You still have Texas LSU. We'll see. You got Tennessee Oklahoma. You got Arkansas scheduled to go to Notre Dame. That's not happening now in all likelihood, I guess. I guess Notre Dame could keep that as it's it's non-conference if, if the SEC allows for a plus one. Um but you know again, the relevance of the SEC wasn't is isn't in question here after what happened yesterday. Because the SEC's got inventory within its own warehouse. You know, you, you can't play Florida, Florida State this year? Well, how about if Alabama plays Florida instead? Do a poll of college football fans and ask them, which game would you be most intrigued by in 2020 in the regular season? Alabama, Florida, or Florida, Florida State? Now, you got some just traditionalists and diehards when it comes to rivalries, they're going to say, Florida, Florida State, if the two teams were to go into that one at two at two and nine each. But just in terms of pop of a game that you'd actually want to watch, yeah, you'd want to watch Alabama, Florida. And so that was interesting yesterday. And it's, you know, look, I hear from Alabama fans interact with some on Twitter today, and you know, the common refrain is they don't like the idea of a ten game conference schedule and you see Florida and perhaps Vanderbilt roll in as the two additional SEC opponents because they're next up on the rotation. They're the two teams that Alabama's gone the longest in playing from the SEC East. I get all that, especially in a scenario where you're anticipating very limited capacity at best. But you know who probably wouldn't mind playing Florida in front of 10,000 fans at the Swamp, Joe Gaither? Who do you think that would be? From the Gosh, I, could, I don't know. Nick Saban. You think Nick Saban would be upset about going to Florida? Oh, not at all. Gators in front of 10,000 fans instead of waiting and going next year when in all likelihood, or at least we hope, we're back to a semblance of normalcy in terms of occupancy. Yeah, a lot of things to consider in these scenarios. Again, though, we don't know for sure exactly what the SEC is going to do. But it did kind of stir up talking season yesterday with that, didn't it? Kind of had forgotten about talking season, as Steve Spurrier used to refer to it as. Remember the ramp up to fall camp, another season? It was kind of that gap between July 1st and August 1st, which you had SEC media days right kind of in the middle of that July. And so you'd get the talking season going. We haven't had it, so it was actually refreshing in some ways, yesterday to uh, get into a little bit of that as well. Hey, the Big Ten, according to the Chicago Tribune, by the way, this morning, is uh, apparently getting close to announcing kind of its scheduling format for the upcoming season. The Big Ten, of course, the Pac-12, they had already announced weeks ago that they plan to go conference-only. Interesting stuff from the Chicago Tribune this morning, though, in that the starting dates for all these different leagues, right? September 5th is now being talked about as the opening weekend for the Big Ten. We've seen the Big 12 talk about uh, week zero, uh, August 29th. Uh, We're still trying to see what's going to happen with uh, with the SEC. The ACC says September 12th, so we're kind of all over the place right now with a starting weekend. Uh, But the Big Ten apparently – is going to stick with divisions. The ACC told us yesterday they're just going to go everybody in, including Notre Dame, which can buy for that conference championship in 2020. But the Big Ten apparently is going to stick with the divisions, but is thinking along the lines of playing the divisional games up front in the, in the case that you have some issues later where you have to maybe cut some games, move some games around, and then perhaps have this Hope that down the road you can maybe, I guess, play a conference championship game so you get the divisional games in up front. So there's a real chance you're going to see Ohio State and Michigan in games like that, maybe more so in September into early October than you're going to see on Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, we're going to step aside for our first break. We've got a lot of stuff to get into as we move throughout the program. Chris Hummer's going to join us coming up next, though. We'll get into some more college football talk with Chris Hummer. We've got some, man, a lot of golf involving UA current players and alums as well because you have restarts on some tours as well. The LPGA getting it going once again this weekend. The PGA Tour has two events. Of course, up in Memphis, the uh, WGC. FedEx, St. Jude, Invitational, Justin Thomas, Michael Thompson in that field. Out in the Lake Tahoe area at the secondary event on the PGA Tour this weekend, you got four former Alabama players. And then again, the LPGA with three former Mick Potter players up in Toledo, Ohio. You even got one of the most prestigious men's amateur events going on right now up in Carmel, Indiana at Cricket Stick where Wilson Fur. Is in the mix to make the final sixteen at that prestigious Western Western Amateur Championship. He finishes top sixteen out of the forty four left after yesterday's cut. If he finishes the thirty six holes today, top sixteen, Wilson Fur will move on to match play, which will get underway up there in Indiana on on Friday. So we're going to step aside to a break and we come back. Chris Hummer, 247sports.com. Chris has helped put out that college football's top 50 players, which the Crimson Tide of Alabama, very strong presence on that list, as you might expect. We'll ask Chris about that. And a whole lot more when Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier, returns on Tide 100.9 FM right after this.
0: The sky will stay mostly cloudy this afternoon and tonight. Occasional showers likely, maybe a thunderstorm in spots. The high today, 85. Tonight's low, 72. Tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms. The high at 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com. Or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide.
2: You know, that's the NBA theme music back when it was real, all right? When your host here was probably 12, 15 years old, and his guy, Julius Irving, a.k.a. Dr. J, was doing his magic for those Philadelphia 76ers, had Daryl Dawkins in there with him, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones. That's back when the NBA was real, my friends. Magic Johnson just coming into the league with Larry Bird. Oh, you want to talk golden era of the National Basketball Association. That's it. But we do have a restart of the NBA season set for later this afternoon down there in that bubble in Walt Disney World. Going to have a little bit of star power out there tonight in those two opening games, those two restarting games. Of course, the nightcap. LeBron and Kawhi Leonard, you're going to want to watch that, Clippers and the Lakers in that first game of the doubleheader. Zion Williamson at last check, a game-time decision for our New Orleans Pelicans. We adopted the Pelicans, of course, here on the program after the pickup of Zion in that draft a year ago or so. So you got the NBA restart to look forward to coming up today as well. We're going to talk some college football right now, though, with our good friend Chris Humber, national college football writer. 24 7 sports.com you fired up about the nba restart or not so much chris
3: hey man if you want to talk nba for 20 minutes i'm good i'm happy to talk to nice. drew holiday and brandon ingram but uh mavericks fan here so big luca guy
2: yeah luca's something else man you, you wonder it's, it's crazy in basketball because you have a guy like dirk in um in dallas for so long and he is sort of that unicorn of his era with his skill set and his size and all those things. And you're thinking, wow, I don't know if we're going to see another guy like that. And then we see Luca, basically right behind him with the the same franchise. Uh, A lot of fun to watch both those guys. And we'll be plugged into the NBA a little bit here in the coming days. But so much happening on the college football front, Chris. And uh, yesterday, word comes from the ACC that that league will play uh, a 10-game conference schedule that will include – Will include the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and also involve a plus one for the potential for 11 games. First of all, the timing of that, were you surprised to see the ACC go ahead and step out there, Chris? And then also the 10 plus one, uh, how did that strike you?
3: Uh, I was not surprised. I, this meeting was already on the books and somebody kind of had to go first, and the ACC. I think gained a little bit of leverage in some ways by going first. I think that leads to your second question with the plus-one model. Um, We can debate all we like about if 11 games is feasible this season. I think it might be a little aggressive. Um, But the ACC is hoping to retain some of those traditional rivalries with the SEC East, your Louisville, Kentucky, your Clemson, South Carolina's. And by stepping out here at a time when uh, several people have reported the SEC was thinking about a conference-only model, kind of puts the ball in the SEC's court to kind of respond. And the ACC struck first here. And uh, given the amount of power the SEC has in college athletics and the fact that we always kind of give them the first chair whenever we're discussing discussing it, it has been interesting the last couple weeks to see the Big Ten and the ACC sort of catch the SEC by surprise during their planning stages.
2: Um, I talked about this in the, the opening segment, but does this really make the SEC look as if it was caught off guard here? I mean, if we're talking relevance, right, Chris? I mean, it starts with the SEC, and then it goes from there. And so understanding the rivalry connection between the two leagues, I asked the question in the first segment, other than non-conference opponents involving Notre Dame, which is basically uh, in-law of the ACC. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't even know if that counts. Um, going from five conference games already to 10 this year. Um, and the matchups with SEC opponents. Can't, I, I couldn't come up with another ACC non-conference game of note that didn't involve SEC opponents. Meanwhile, I can look at the SEC and say you had Alabama, Southern California. you still got Texas and LSU. You have Oklahoma and Tennessee. Even Arkansas was scheduled to go to Notre Dame. So even if the SEC does go to just 10 conference games and perhaps loses out on that plus one and those rivalries and really – a big inventory of games. I get it. The ACC and SEC beyond the rivalries had a lot of games on the line here. Um, if I'm the SEC and I replace, say, Florida State on Florida schedule with Alabama, did I really lose anything in terms of pop?
3: Yeah, and that's a good point. And I do agree that the SEC is still in a probably better leverage position with the games remaining on their schedule and others, but I think the ACC yesterday was doing all it could to manufacture leverage in the situation and try to keep some of those games that they desire on the schedule.
2: It's not like the
3: it's not like the ACC didn't have big kind of non conference games. I believe Virginia Tech, Penn State would have been really intriguing um, on the schedule. But you're right. Like overall, those SEC games matter to the ACC, and the SEC would probably be fine regardless. And I, this, is all, this is all kind of um, just pushing and shoving um, from conference commissioners and athletic directors and presidents right now between the two leagues. And we are putting a lot of um, kind of an import on that right now, but nobody's really going to remember this in three months, however the schedules shake out. So in that capacity, the ACC going first didn't really matter that much. But when we're just talking about the interplay of those ACC-SEC traditional rivalries, I think that was – at least the idea with the ACC going first.
2: The way I see it, Chris, is the ACC prioritized Notre Dame ahead of those rivalries because it had to know that the very real potential was that if you include Notre Dame and as as one of your your ten regular season games, you know, on a weekly basis, there's a real likelihood, real potential for the league to lose those games. Uh, With the SEC, so the way I look at it, I guess, is if the SEC does go conference only with 10 games, the ACC chose Notre Dame, which I get, which I think the ACC was very smart in what it did, Yeah, I guess is what I'm saying. You get Notre Dame every week. you, You don't think the ACC network could use Notre Dame for a full football season? Absolutely. I mean, the extension of all this is massive, and you get the NBC money to boot.
3: Yeah, which was which was a really important power play from the ACC to, to demand that uh, NBC money from Notre Dame for this season, for sure. But yeah, no, Notre Dame, if you're going to have a choice between a couple ACC teams playing their traditional rivals and dating Notre Dame full-time for a season, yeah. that's kind of an experiment. You choose Notre Dame every time because eventually you hope that partnership that you have with that program, which is still synonymous with college football, leads to a full-time membership agreement in the ACC. And yeah. I think, I don't know if it's going to happen next year, but I think this type of agreement and this type of kind of pandemic could eventually lead Notre Dame into kind of exploring those waters full time. So for the ACC's protective, it 100% makes sense to pick Notre Dame.
2: Yeah. I mean, the ACC essentially said, we're going to have our cake Notre Dame and we're going to try to eat it too, which would then be the plus ones secondarily involving almost exclusively the Southeastern Conference. Not just a few, but we're talking pretty much top to bottom because you even have matchups like NC State, Mississippi State with ACC, SEC ties. So, uh, again, it's not just the rivalries. You had the opening weekend-type games in Atlanta uh, that you had scheduled, Georgia, Virginia, Auburn, North Carolina. So uh, it it, it runs deep uh, with those two. But in in sticking with this sort of Notre Dame – uh, agreeing to take the ACC to the Wisconsin Dells for a long weekend, essentially. <laughs> Do you think it's possible that there's 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 carryover from what we're about to experience and hopefully experience from you know I- increased conference games to Notre Dame's affiliation uh, flirtation with the ACC? What are some of these elements of what we're seeing sort of play out here? That, that you could envision becoming perhaps permanent once we get beyond 2020 and even into 2021?
3: Well, I guess this the scheduling aspect of that in terms of conference-only games, I think it kind of remains to be seen. Uh, the ratings for these games are obviously going to be much higher than what you would have for um, Alabama versus Directional U, kind of in the non-conference slate. And I know Nick Saban has for a really long time pushed for less non-conference games and to play more in the league itself. But I think in terms of that conversation, the ecosystem of college athletics is currently constructed. I don't think you're going to see any scheduling changes in that regard just because of how important those by games are for the Group of Five programs and FCS programs to kind of funding their athletic departments. They, those Those teams don't wield as much influence as the big boys, but they want them to remain on the schedule however possible. And unless we see this result and kind of the Power Five breaking off from the rest of the FBS, I don't see a way the schedules change significantly in terms of how they're structured now because there's such a large contingency still pulling for those bye games to remain on the schedule. And I think a lot of us speculated that the Power Five leagues, kind of watching how little leadership there was at the top from the NCAA, might try to pull away after this kind of pandemic, and maybe that's what ends up happening. But as we've seen recently, those leagues have not worked particularly well together and have kind of fractured and split off on their own. So in that way, at least in the short term, I do not see that changing. Notre Dame is an interesting question for sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with how this season goes and revenue, to be perfectly frank.
2: What about uh, the potential maybe for spring football? Uh, at at the FCS level, maybe even a group of five. You you see that as a real possibility?
3: I think I, – I still think uh, – I was talking to some people on the group of five level the last couple of days, and I still think even with all these changes on the power five level that the spring schedule would kind of be a last resort um, yeah. just as we've kind of heard from the other leagues. There are just too many unknowns with a string football schedule, specifically like – Nobody really knows if you'd be able to get the season in in the spring any better than you would be in the fall. Um, there's there's hope that we're going to have a vaccine by early next year, but there's no telling how widely available it's going to be. There's no telling how effective it's going to be or any of those ideas, let alone if we'll have it. So I think the idea for the group of five leagues are if they play the season is to kind of still get it in the fall when they can, but obviously these change, things change frequently. I just... I personally, I can't see a scenario where the group of five would agree to play in the spring full-time because you're just eliminating the possibility of any players with real legitimate NFL hopes from kind of taking a chance on your level of football. And you and put yourself in an even larger disadvantage moving forward, especially if you're a program like UCF or Boise State or Houston with aspirations of eventually joining the Power of Five. I just, I can't see that happening.
2: So You're leaving the big money. You know, you're you're disassociating with the power fives pretty much, even though you don't have a consistent tie into those programs. You you get enough from them as group of fives that, as we talked about, it goes a long way in funding not only your program, but good bit of your athletic department as well. Uh, Tuesday, Chris, was an opt out Tuesday in the NFL. Boy, that was a slew of news on Tuesday um, with a lot of Patriots primarily. (laughs) Dante Hightower among them opting to sit out the 2020 season that seems to have settled down just a little bit but we've seen a couple on the college level too Rayvon Bonner the running back at Illinois initially kind of started that trend a little bit I wouldn't say it's a trend yet Caleb Fairley, though the outstanding corner from Virginia Tech projected as a first round pick in the 2020 NFL draft we hear from him yesterday that he will opt out of the upcoming season uh and with that you automatically hear well these are the first of a couple of many uh is that the sort of sense you're picking up that we might need to brace ourselves a little bit here in the run-up to the season and expect some more news from the likes of Farley and, and Bonner
3: I mean I certainly think we're going to see some players off to sit out um I've talked to several college football players the last couple weeks and there's just there's a general sense of uncertainty right now and just kind of an unease with how everything's working. I mean, college football players are already are pretty disenfranchised in terms of the decision making process on the kind of collegiate level. And I think people probably expect, like, think they should be in a lot of cases. But, like, we have to remember I know these guys get a full ride, and that's a va- very valuable thing. I'm not dismissing that. But, kind of, during the middle of a pandemic, when you're talking about one, element of the student body football players remaining on campus uh, while everybody else is learning from home just so they could play football for something that they're not going to make money for. I think you really start to raise questions about the system itself. And for guys that might have health risks for guys that might have NFL futures and don't see their team competing this year for a national championship, I, I could certainly see more players kind of moving this direction. And I, a couple of weeks ago for a story I spoke to a lot of the kind of people close to elite 2021 NFL draft prospects. That story was talking about a potential of a spring football season and very few of the people I spoke to said there was any chance their son or um, kind of the person they work with would play in the spring. But if the uncertainty kind of pushes forward and maybe kind of midseason, if their team's completely out of it or they get injured, like, I would not be shocked to see big names exit the sport either. I think, this. I'm rambling a little bit, I think the elite players probably have a better chance of sticking around if they're for contending programs. Like, maybe you might see one or two players that are Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State sit out, but for the most part, those guys still have a chance to win a national championship. And whatever we talk about with money, like, these players still care to play the fo- play football. They're not quitters. They want to play for their team. They want to win championships. But do not be surprised if we see a couple more players make a business decision like Caleb Farley. I just I think it's a very natural course of action for this, especially when the NFL players, who are the pace setters in the situation, the people that college football players look at, kind of make the same decision.
2: Probably not to the extent, obviously, though that we would see in a spring scenario. Um, and, and understanding a lot of these guys are insured. For the upcoming season, uh, in terms of uh, you know their health and uh, career-ending type situations, and situations that could obviously uh, significantly uh, drop their their draft status from a health perspective based on on injury. Uh, but I think positional value will have something to do with that too, perhaps. In a case like Fairley, I mean, this is a corner. You know, there's a lot of value in what he does, but you also have a lot of guards, uh, a lot of linemen. Um, I guess the point is, yes, right now there's probably 20, 25 guys you can look at in college football and feel pretty comfortable in saying that's a first-round guy. But there's still a lot of guys that need to play, right, Chris? And, no doubt. And, and, and put it on tape and, and prove themselves to NFL clubs.
3: And even like honestly, like I really think it's like ten to fifteen at the most who can I would
2: agree, legitimately,
3: yeah, legitimately say that they have secured their spot, and if they don't play, would generally retain their draft position. Because like Caleb Farley, I think is a unique example because other than maybe Patrick Sertan, there are not of a lot of other rising corners that can kind of take his spot. But if you're somebody like I think Sean Wade's a really ideal example, who's a starting quarterback at Ohio State a guy projected as a first-round pick. That's a lot of projection with him. He's hmm. he's played nickel for most of his career. He's going to shift outside. He won't be playing alongside two first-round picks. In my opinion, he needs to play to kind of maintain his spot or kind of raise his stock in that way. So it's going to be a pretty unique discussion for everybody involved because everybody's situation is different. Yeah, you mentioned Sertan.
2: He'd be an interesting case, wouldn't he? Because in terms of production – it's been okay, and I get the argument that, well, teams maybe don't go at him as much. Well, you had a guy like Trayvon Diggs on the other side last year, so you, know, you kind of had to pick there. Um, but then, that said, it is a position of value. Look at his measurables, you look at his skill set, and you even look at his DNA with his dad, you know, having played a long time in the National Football League. he's He would be an interesting case study in that type of scenario, I think.
3: Yeah, no doubt, and I I think Patrick, if he decided to leave, would probably still be a first-round pick. Like, I know the production hasn't been perfect, but he's been very good in a lot of cases. Yeah. He has every measurable possible for the position. The bloodlines, as you mentioned, but, like, that's a dude whose DNA is to play football, and I think his dad knows the league very well, and, like, at the end of the day, like, you're still going to have scouts. Like, look at a guy who chooses to skip, like Caleb Farley did, and kind of question the decision to see if they really wanted to play. It's just... The reality of that is dad knows that well. So, yeah, it'd be a really interesting test, cut, test study because I don't I don't consider Patrick Sertan one of those kind of 10 to 15 in that position. He might, He's like on the cusp. But um, if he's one of the guys that chooses to skip or if a player his caliber chooses to skip, I think it says a lot about where the fall season might be headed. Speaking of
2: Patrick Sertan and high-caliber players, I see here where the top 50 players in college football for 2020 that 24 seven sports.com recently published. And you were a big part of that selection process. I believe you along with our good friend, Charles power BamaOnline.com alum in his own right. Um, Patrick Sertan on that list of six Alabama players included, by the way, Patrick Sertan checks in at 23 among the top 50 college football players. Interesting, you got Jalen Waddell, or the list has Jalen Waddell, at number 13 overall, and that's the top-ranked Alabama player on this list. Uh, talk about what went into that with Jalen.
3: Yeah, I think Charles and I both are very big Jalen Waddell fans, and I, I feel like people might see his production from last season and wonder why he's ranked so high. His All of his receiving numbers were down, but I think you only have to watch a game like Auburn when he – single-handedly almost won that game for Alabama against an elite defense, kind of took over with three touchdowns and 98 receiving yards on four catches to see how dynamic he is. And I think with additional opportunities, Jalen's numbers are going to look very similar to what Jerry Judy's did the last couple of seasons playing alongside Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs. And also, I think this is a very underrated element for everybody, but special teams matters. And Jalen Waddell's punt return numbers specifically are (laughs) – Really, really stupid. Like scene. Yeah. He's I think it what it was it, twenty four five last season per punt return? In he's
2: conference like, in conference, I know he averaged basically twice what his nearest competitor did in the SEC. Yeah, he was he was twenty four plus in punt
3: return average. And I, I've looked this up a couple of times. Nobody in the last fifteen years has been better only one player's been better than twenty one and nobody's been only like that player was at 21. So Jalen Waddle was literally three and a half yards better per punt return than anybody in recent memory in college football. And, like, that that matters. Like, the dude is electric. And he can change the game in multiple ways. And I, I just, when you kind of think about the best receivers in college football, you want a guy who can change the game in an instant when the ball's in his hand. And I don't think anybody, maybe with the argument of Rondale Moore at Purdue, who's coming off an injury, has a better argument to say they can do that than Jalen Waddle, which is why... Among a really decorated and deep group of Crimson Tide players, he was our first pick. Yeah,
2: the you're right. The three touchdown catches against Auburn. He also had the 98 yard kickoff return for a touchdown in that game, and uh, kind of turned that into maybe a, a Heisman Trophy candidate trailer. Maybe we know it's a quarterback award, he, but he's
3: he's looking at it. He's the only wide receiver, maybe besides Rondell Moore, that even has a. Puncher's chance in winning the Heisman in 2020. I mean, like Jalen just Jalen has some of the elements that made Desmond Howard and Tim Brown award winners when they won in terms of kind of the ability to do things on special teams. So I think that's a really intriguing question.
2: That's why you know people look at me a little sideways when I tell them I think Jalen Waddle is Alabama's top candidate to win the Heisman. I'm not saying he's the top candidate to get to New York, but he could have the kind of season that of Alabama's players makes him perhaps the best choice to win it. Uh, and it, again, it's it's extremely tough in this era of, of college football, as we know. Devontae Smith at 15 on that top 50 list. Speaking of Alabama wide receivers, Alex Leatherwood, number 19. Dylan Moses, 21. Sertan at 23. And I know you guys specifically mentioned positional value being a big part of this process. And I guess that went a pretty good ways in having Najee Harris at 26. Nope, nope. No shame in being 26 out of the top 50 players in college football. Don't get me wrong, but among Alabama players, he's the sixth and final guy on this list. Is is that what you have to consider a good bit? I guess, uh, Chris, when you do these type of lists.
3: Yeah, we had. To, it's it's really tough to break ties sometimes, and I realize it seems a little counterintuitive to have a guy like Moses, who plays middle linebacker at 20. But I could argue defensively for Alabama, Moses' contributions matter considerably more than what a running back in any system does, as important as Najee was at times for Alabama, especially after Tuba got hurt. Um, so yeah, I, at the end of the day, it came down to positional distinction for Najee coming in at 26. I think Najee, like, as good as he is, and I've known Najee a very long time, he just matters a little bit less for the offense than a guy like Chuba Hubbard does for Oklahoma State or even a guy like Travis Etienne, who is historically effective, does for Clemson. So that's that's the only reason Najee's 26. And that's, that's certainly meant as no disrespect. He's a top 26 player in college football, which means he's excellent. Well, it's a lot of fun,
2: as always, Chris, to catch up with you here on the program. We certainly take, appreciate you taking the extended time to join us. We've held you long enough. Thanks a lot, Chris.
3: Yeah, for sure. Anytime.
2: There he goes. Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for us at 247sports.com. Going to take a break and we come back. More of a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Side, 100.9 FM right after this. The sky will stay mostly cloudy this
0: afternoon and tonight. Occasional showers likely, maybe a thunderstorm in spots. The high today 85, tonight's low 72. Tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms. The high at 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kinda odd. No barking from the dog, no smoke. And Mama cooked the breakfast with no. Hog. I'll tell you who
2: did cook on, some hog with the breakfast out, this morning or is in got the process of cooking girl, some hog. Out, Your guy here. Threw that threw uh that Boston butt on foot 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 about six forty five this morning. Just waiting. Just waiting at this point. Little apple wood in there. Smoke it up. Hmm. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for Bama Online.com with you back here on Southern Fried Sports. Always appreciate Chris Hummer, college football writer, national college football writer, the professorial one. Chris Hummer does so much great work for us there at 247sports.com. Going in-depth on college football, all the what-ifs still out there. Filling in some blanks here in the last couple of days. The ACC, trying to be cute. The ACC trying to be cute yesterday with its little 10 conference games, including Notre Dame, plus one. Yeah, that was cute and clever. That was cute and clever, ACC. Got some baseball going on as well. Braves bounced back last night. That was nice, right? Coming back from those two losses down in Tampa Bay. Returned home yesterday for the home opener in front of about, what, 34 people or a couple hundred cardboard folks, I guess, there at Truist Park, and you knew Freddie Freeman was going to have an answer after Tuesday night. Four strikeouts, seven guys left on base in that loss Tuesday night down at the drop. Well, Freddie comes home, and it looks a lot more like the Freddie you're used to seeing. Four for five, home run double, four RBI. Still ten strikeouts for the Braves last night. Still left, 19 guys on base. But you pile up six extra base hits, including five doubles, and you're able to cover for some of those strikeouts and some of those missed opportunities with guys on base. Uh, Made it happen really there in the bottom of the sixth, and the bottom of the seventh. Got some RBIs from Dansby Swanson. How about the start for Dansby Swanson? you love that. I mean, you want to see Ronald Acuna pick it up, no doubt. Freddie, too. That was a good sign last night with him. But you get RBIs from Swanson, Ozzy, Ozzy Albies, and Freeman there in the 6th and the 7th, and you take a 5-2 lead. You get Travis Darnod back. Your two top catchers come back. He gives you a sack fly RBI there in the 7th for some insurance. Braves did some did some damage in that Tampa Bay bullpen last night. Soroka was pretty good in the start. Five and two-thirds, a couple of earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts. And then you learned yesterday that Nick Marcakis has done an about face and he is going to rejoin the Braves now after initially opting out for the 2020 season. Marcakis, you know, as the father of three, some thoughts automatically come to your mind when a guy does an about face like this, you know, when you've got three kids and you're sort of envisioning potentially what the home life might be like, baseball might not sound so dangerous, You know, after a week or so of that. Seeing your boys playing ball, yeah, that can pull at you a little bit. But you get Markekis back, not sure exactly when he will be active, but got to think he's a defensive upgrade in the outfield. I mean, he's not Willie Mays, okay? I'm not saying that. And he also helps you with your DH options, too. You know, Markekis, Azuna. Not sure what happens with Matt Adams now. And you just acquired Scott Shebler from the Reds, an outfielder. But Nick Marcakis, he worked out with that uh, sort of that training team that the uh, teams have at Gwinnett County yesterday. And again, still kind of up in the air as to when exactly he will become active for the big league club. But you'll get Max Fried back out there today against the Devil Rays, and you look to uh, continue to steady that ship. Uh, a ship that at 3-3 three and three, and at least you're playing baseball right now appears to be far more steady than the ones in Miami, which has had another player test positive for COVID-19. What is that, 17 total members now of the Marlins between coaches and players that have tested positive since the opening weekend? And now you hear that the Philadelphia Phillies have a coach and a clubhouse attendant that have tested positive. So according to Jeff Passan of ESPN just moments ago, the Phillies are shutting down workouts and operations for the foreseeable future. We talked about this earlier in the week, Joe Gaither. I think you go ahead and give the Braves the NLEs crown right now.
1: Winner, winner, chicken dinner.
2: I mean, he's poor, he's, the, the Phillies – the Marlins, there's not going to be anything left of the NL East.
1: Well, i got a, a wild theory going the other way. The Marlins, with a 666 winning percentage,
2: uh, if you could just go by winning
1: percentage, are default NL East champion.
2: Yeah, but if you get the rest of the league sick, the rest of the division sick, you have to forfeit. That's kind Disqualified. Of them's, the, them's the rules, Joe. And look, the Miami Marlins football fans may end up being thankful for the Miami Marlins. Because it sounds like the Marlins have put together the how not to navigate the COVID-19 virus working without a bubble in sports. You talk about a handbook. How many speeches do you think football coaches have given here in the last few days via Zoom to their teams that has included the Miami Marlins? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, that sound like the Marlins picked up the COVID on the baseball field. The Marlins uh, maybe had some guys getting out and about a little bit. Sacrificing the integrity of the well-being of the team in general for selfish reasons. That's probably how that speech has gone here in the last few days among not just football coaches, but sports coaches in general. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. As always, appreciate Chris Summer joining us here on the program. Joe Gaither and crew doing an outstanding job producing the program as well. The lunch whistle on this Thursday. Our great friends down there at Government Plaza in the heart of downtown Tuscaloosa. Heat Pizza Bar, nightly specials on great pies there at Heat Pizza Bar. The personal favorite, the Thai chicken pizza, is absolutely out of the world, as are all the other pies down there at Heat Pizza Bar. You can also give them a call for takeout. 205-632-3282. Frank, Will, the rest of the crew, they'll take good care of you there at Heat Pizza Bar. Travis Ryer, until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Thank
1: you for listening.